I'm Father Mitch Paquin, and welcome to EWTN Live, where we bring you guests from around the world. And tonight, we will talk about how we are called to actively participate in the redemption that Jesus Christ has won for us by his saving death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. And we'll discuss what that participation looks like in reality. Before we get to that very important topic, we want to speak briefly with EWTN's Ryan Penny about EWTN's digital media efforts. Big new area for us. Ryan, what have you got for us here? Thanks for having me back, Father. So I'm here tonight first and foremost to make sure that everybody knows that uh, it's not just Hollywood or the Hallmark Channel or Pure Flix anymore, but EWTN is now making romantic comedies. And uh, our, our first one, James the Less, which was a exclusive uh, to YouTube release that came out Valentine's Day week a few weeks ago, um, and it's been a total smash hit. So it starts with the premise of what happens when a fresh out of college atheist guy who just wants a job bumps into a pretty devout Catholic girl who just wants to be a nun. So the story kind of takes off from there. And you're just going to have to go onto YouTube, because it's only on YouTube right now, uh, to find out what happens. But everyone that has watched it so far uh, is incredibly enthusiastic about it, loves it. The only complaint is that it stopped too soon and that they want more. And I'm happy to announce that we are in the process of making more right now. Cool. So, All yes. right. And um, then also uh, about uh, our... So if you don't have the EWTN app, you should get the EWTN app because you get access to video on demand, which is all the EWTN uh, content more than you would ever, uh, ever consume even in a year. We have enough Mother Angelica content alone on on demand. It would take you over a week to watch all of it nonstop. And that's just the Mother Angelica content. But I want to make sure everyone knows about in honor of the Eucharistic uh, revival that's happening right now, uh, we have a new uh, Eucharist section on demand okay. um, with things like uh, Scott Hans, the fourth cup video series, uh, explore with the miracle hunter, uh, Michael O'Neill. He has a whole episode where he talks about the Eucharistic miracle in Lanciano, Italy. Uh, and you can watch all of this for free on EWTN.com slash on demand. And then I also want to make sure people know that you can go into YouTube. We have even more uh, Mother Angelica uh, content on our YouTube channel, which you should go and check out. We have almost 800,000 subscribers. Help us to get to 800,000 subscribers. And uh, we have over 40,000 videos on our, on our YouTube channel. Um, you can uh, type in Mother Angelica Eucharist or Mother Angelica uh, Confession or Lent or Easter. You can find all sorts of things on there. Um, so I highly encourage everyone to go do that. And you can pass that on to, uh, the, as information to people who don't have cable. Some people don't have much cable anymore. Less and less. So, so this yeah. is another way to get in contact with it. Exactly. I'm not so sure about the romantic stuff. It's been 55 years since my last date. <laughs> who's counting? <laughs> Nobody remembers August 1968. <laughs> All right, thank you. Appreciate it very much. Yeah, thanks, and Father. we'll be back in just a couple of minutes with tonight's guests, so please stay with us. Thank you very much. Welcome back. Our guest tonight is here to discuss the mystery of co-redemption, what it means to be God's fellow workers. As St. Paul describes us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, 
And the question is, does God need our help or want our cooperation in his work of redeeming the world? How do we factor in within redemptive work and mission of Christ our role? What does he do? What does he want us to do? To try and approach some of these questions and others, please welcome the author of the book, How Christ Saves Souls with Us, The Mystery of Co-Redemption, by Father Michael Geisler. Father. Thank you, Father. I want to welcome you to EWTN here in Alabama. Where are you from? Uh, from St. Louis. St. Louis, great. Louis. And, and you worked uh, there for about for a good number 30 of years. years. Yeah, yes, a good 30, 30 years, yeah. years, yes. And uh, this issue, uh, in some ways, the problem throughout the history of the church is that people have temptations to swing from one side of an error to the opposite side. You'll have some people who would be followers of Pelagius. Pelagius was a heretic who taught that basically you're saved by your own efforts. Correct. And he was condemned in the early church when, during his lifetime. But then others go the opposite way and says, we don't do anything. It's all God. And you're pointing us towards something else. Tell us about what it is you're trying to say here about our role in redemption. Well, uh, it's interesting you bring up the Pelagian heresy because, as you recall, St. Augustine was a big opponent of Pelagius. Yes. And he is precisely the one who says, we also have to do our part to be saved, all right? But Jesus does the main part of, of our salvation. The beautiful phrase that he uses is, uh, God created us without our permission, but he will not save us without our permission. Mm -hmm. And Pelagius got that wrong. <laughs> yes. So St. Augustine corrected him very clearly saying, yes, we have to do something, but Jesus does most of it. So yeah. my book is about how much Jesus does and yet how much we should do also for redemption. And the, the tendency to Pelagianism still exists. Oh, it does, yes. It, it's a human drive sometimes that I think comes from a lack of trust that Jesus really will work in our lives. He's, his grace really will have an effect. So just in case he can't be bothered, I'll do it. Don't worry, Lord, just take care of heaven. I'll take care of salvation. It'll be my effort. And that's heresy. Right. It's very clear from Scripture that Jesus wants our active collaboration in redemption. You can see that all over the New Testament, for sure. Like when he sends out his apostles to have exorcisms, to preach the kingdom, to heal the sick. He is using people to collaborate in his redemption. Yes. They are truly co-redeemers by Jesus' own will, although he does the miracle, but yet he must use us as instruments. Mm -hmm. And that's the wonderful combination of our instrumentality and his miracle. That's what co-redemption is. Yes. In you know, again, that opposite, you know, Scott Hahn did the forward yes, for you. Yes, he did. Book. Yeah, I'm very grateful for that. Yes. And he came from a theology that taught, no, Christ does it all. He won everything. It's just done. And there's, it's all grace and no role for us. And Scott tells about how he was very surprised to find the word Sunergoi, in Greek. Sunergoi means co-workers with God. That's right. That's, it's, and it's not just once. It's repeated yes, in several times. Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Philippians. It's, it's frequent in Paul. 
Yes. That we are co-workers with him. What is it then that we, tell us what we seek from Jesus and that what he wants from us in this relationship. Well, Jesus, of course, is the only redeemer, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, who work together to redeem us. That's called an operation ad extra, outside of God. All three really redeem us, but he is the one that became one of us, a man. Right. Uh, and he does want our active collaboration in the work of redemption. We can see that right from sacred scripture, and Synergoi is a typical example of that. We are God's workers with him, with him. And one of the things that you bring up, uh, first of all, the important clarification that you make here. Mm -hmm. um, when God acts outside of the Blessed Trinity, mm -hmm. that is with us creatures, all three persons always act. They do. You, you don't have this division of labor. Okay, uh, I'll create, uh, you redeem, and you sanctify. <laughs> right. Because there are people who try to use that as baptismal formulas. They'll call God the Father, the Creator, and they'll, they'll say, in the name of God, the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier. But all three persons create, all three persons redeem, redeem. all three persons sanctify. That's correct. But we attribute, we attribute mm, from the evidence of sacred scripture and also from tradition, we attribute creation to the Father because he is the beginning of the processions of the Trinity. Mm -hmm. And therefore we would say, well, creation is the beginning, so we attribute it to the Father. But in point of fact, all three persons do collaborate in creation yeah, as in our it, redemption. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. it, it, it yeah. says in John that all th was created through the Word, and without Him, nothing was made. Exactly. So all three persons were actively, intrinsically involved in creation as well as redemption. But only one of the persons volunteered to become one of us. Right. Namely, the second one, right. <laughs> Jesus right. Christ. And that's an important distinction. Right. Uh, but it's important to see all three persons are active. And to, to try and give God different jobs right. is making... A, a, a very another ancient heresy that's called right. modalism. That's right. It's dividing God's nature and, and, and operation, which is only one. Yes. So with this redemption then, what is it that Christ does in the redemption? What is his role specifically? Well, I would say redemption, if you look at it biblically as well as theologically from the tradition of the church, there are two aspects to redemption. It actually comes from the Latin word redemo, mm -hmm. which means to buy back something or yes. to redeem something, as when you redeem a bond or something like that. Yes. You buy it back. That's one aspect of redemption. The Lord buys us back from the bondage of sin and of the devil and of selfishness. He buys us back by his life and death and resurrection. That's one aspect of, of redemption. And again, that's important, you know, Bringing yeah. this out is an important part of your work. A lot of people don't know that they need to be bought back. No. <laughs> they already feel okay. That's the Pelagian side. We're already okay. That's right. You know, it's nice to be a Christian. It's nice to like God, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay. a good person. I do good things. So yeah. why would God condemn me? Yeah. Right. Well, just a minute. <laughs> we have to say that honestly. If you're, if you're humble and admit that you're a sinner, that is one of the first steps towards real redemption because you have to admit, I need to be freed from something. I need to be liberated from something. And that is the first meaning of redemption, to buy back. That's in the Old Testament as well, to redeem. Yes, yes. I think the Hebrew word might be... Goel. No, go, goel. Go, goel. Mm -hmm. goel. Gaal is the California. I'll use father for my Hebrew roots. <laughs> But yes, but in, 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 it's very clear that Christ buys us back from some power that enslaves us. Mm -hmm. that, that's kind of the, the, the negative view of redemption, which is really quite positive. But the other view of redemption is it's an introduction to a new life, the life of grace, mm -hmm. the state of grace. We become sons of God. Uh, we become true contemplatives of God in our daily life. He loves us and pours forth his life within us. This is called divine participation or divine filiation, the infusion of grace in the soul that we all get through baptism. That's the nice positive part of redemption. You have to consider both things 
or else you only have a skewed partial view of redemption. You have to view both things. The freedom from bondage, but then the entrance into life, eternal life, eternal joy. Yeah, sometimes Pope St. John Paul would talk about freedom from sin, that part of the redemption means freedom for the life of grace. Exactly. It's freedom from and freedom for both. Right. Both are part of redemption. Exactly. And they're both very mysterious, the way God works in our souls. But uh, the other part that, again, you bring out that uh, was so contrary to uh, Scott Hahn's theology until he started looking at Scripture more carefully uh, is that the Lord calls us to cooperate in this. We have a role. It's not that we just sort of sit back like we're in a jacuzzi or something. Right. But it's God asks us to be part of this. What does he want us to do? Well, in a sense, if I can use the expression, he wants us to plug our life into his light. There's all sorts of light around us now as we record this program. Well, Jesus wants us to actively desire to plug into his life and his love. And that active plugging in is what we must do. And he does everything else. He puts on the lights. He does the, mm-hmm. he does the great work, like the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, as you recall, yes. which is on the cover here of the book. Very nice cover, actually, uh, that Emmaus Road produced. Uh, he did the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, but the apostles distributed the bread. Yeah. And I think it's John's narration. It says a little boy had some loaves and fishes, and he volunteered the loaves and fishes to Jesus. So he was part of redemption too by having those loaves and fishes. That's the way God works through us and with us. Yeah, I, I was talking about that miracle just in the past, this past week. Well, and one of the things I always like to point out that what you just said, Jesus does what only God can do, namely multiply the loaves and fish. But he tells the apostles to do the thing they can do, right. which is distribute them. Exactly. He's not this busybody says, you guys are idiots. Just get <laughs> out of my way. I'll dis- give the food. No, he, he doesn't act like that. No, he uses, he uses his apostles to produce. He produces a miracle, but they, in a way, apply it. They distribute it. Like what St. Paul says in that famous text, uh, I make up in my flesh what's lacking in the, in the, in the uh, redemption of Christ, which sounds like a heresy, but it really isn't. Mm-hmm. It's an application of what Jesus did forever throughout time, and that's what we're all called to do. I will never forget uh, a fellow grad student when I was in Nashville who had been a Pentecostal minister but had become Catholic. And he said, when I saw that verse, if I did not read that myself in (laughs) sacred scripture, that what is lacking in the, I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ, I would never have believed it. He was uh, the same school as Scott Hahn. Scott Hahn. That's right. He had to read it in scripture and that convinced him. Yeah. And it perplexed him first. It perplexed him, but it convinced him. But he makes up with his own sufferings. And this is where, you know, one of the, you you bring out a number of aspects in your book about how this applies to the Eucharist, our attendance at Mass. Talk a bit about that, too. Well, of course, the Eucharist is the representation, reactualization of what Jesus did at the Last Supper in Calvary. Mm -hmm. It is truly our energy source and grace source for our whole life. So what happens on the altar is really the center of our, of our life. And again, this idea of plugging in or connecting, uniting, the co-redeemer unites with the Eucharist very much. Mm-hmm. And therefore, Mass is so important in the life of a co-redeemer. Mm-hmm. Get that strength inside of you from Jesus Christ. He does the miracle, but he uses us as his hands, his feet, his tongue, his eyes, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the Mass is essential. Holy Mass is essential. In that, that sense in Holy Mass, especially where 
not only are we getting ready to receive Jesus, but at the offertory, we are also giving him our lives. He gave us our lives. And yet at the offertory, we give it to, we offer it to him. That's right. For him to consecrate. I can make the offering, but he makes the consecration. Exactly. And, that and is, I, we bring, we, we even say, the, these are the fruit of the earth and the fruit of the vine and the work of human hands, but they will become for us our spiritual food. Exactly. We do the active offering of our work. He does the actual transubstantiation, the miracle of turning that bread into his body and that wine into his blood. And that is how co-redemption works. We offer he does the miracle. But we have to offer. We've got to do something. We just can't sit back, which is the opposite heresy of Pelagianism. Yeah. Just the opposite. Yeah. I just sit back and be redeemed. Well, okay. Maybe you won't, you won't make it that way. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to do something. You know? there, there's something that you wrote in your book I'd like to quote, if I may. Uh, it says, though it sounds ironic, the most powerful way to be a co-redeemer is to forget <laughs> that you are one. We must concentrate simply on imitating Jesus Christ and working for the salvation of souls. When this happens, we can truly say that Christ is working with his salvific grace inside of us, and we are really one with him in our word or action that brings that redeeming grace to others. Right. That, it's, it's very much a mystery that we have to forget, you know, so right. we don't get caught up in saying, well, I'm, I'm actually your local co-redeemer. <laughs> right. Um, thank you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank no, you. no, you forget about yourself. No, that's You focus true. on Jesus. That's right. You are most a co-redeemer when you forget that you are one. Uh, because there could be an element of pride in there. There could be an element of yeah. self. And you have to get rid of the self for Jesus to take over. And then you can really do great things when you forget yourself. That was the, uh, that was the point that I tried to make. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, when you most forget about yourself is when you're most redeemer <laughs> with Jesus. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. It's, it's hard to do that, though, because pride is always there in some ways, kind of mysteriously. But yeah, how God, but, but humility is, that's why we all need humility to really be co-redeemers. You need to be yeah. very humble and let Jesus work. Yeah. And I always like to emphasize that humility is not saying, oh, I'm just off. Oh, Lord. Oh. Because when you do that, you're still talking about yourself. Yeah, or, or you want sympathy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, or, I'm so sad. Or yeah. somebody say, oh, you're really not that bad. No, that's, that's right. That's the other <laughs> thing that people want. No. Humility is looking up to the greatness of God and not focusing on us and certainly not looking down on others. Correct. I don't look down on anybody. I don't focus on me. I focus on Jesus Christ. And the more I see him and his greatness, then I realize how small I am. But it's not by say, telling myself I'm small. It's by looking at him. That's right. That's right. I believe St. Teresa of Avila was the one that came up with that famous thought of humility really is truth. The truth yes. is Jesus yes. Christ. And it, it, the truth is not to look down on ourselves as if we're miserable or look for sympathy. It simply is to look at Christ and then look at ourselves in him somehow. And that's the truth. That's what really saves us. Exactly. But pride does not save us. No. <laughs> it messes us up. That was the devil's sin, of course. And I, I think, you know, just as a little side point, uh, something that I've been concerned about for a number of years uh. in talking to psychologists is that we have a pandemic of clinical narcissism in our culture. Mm -hmm. they, they talk about how, uh, you know, this, this focus on oneself is, uh, you know, a pandemic, and it's a very serious problem psychologically. And again, it's where we have to turn towards Christ and not focus on ourselves, but cooperate with him as we turn towards him. This is a great mystery that 
we're entering into. That's true. As a matter of fact, uh, St. Paul himself speaks a lot about that death to self. Yes. The old man inside has to die, so the new man will live. Who's the new man? Jesus Christ. Who's the old man? The proud old guy inside of me who mm -hmm. might be lazy or lustful or whatever our problem is. Get rid of that old guy. And that's why Jesus is always very close to his cross. Yes. And he's very close to his cross. He's yeah. always, and, and again, this brings out the point in your book. He's always close to his cross. Yeah. He tells us when he's lifted up on the cross, he will draw all people to himself. That's says St. John. Yeah. But at the same time, he tells us, unless you pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. He does say that straight and true. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, he uses the word daily, quotidianum in Latin. Exactly, exactly. He, exactly. By the way, not just during Lent, <laughs> take up your cross. He says daily, take up <laughs> yeah. your cross. I hate to disabuse anybody here. Yeah. It's a tough thing. But he says, unless a man is willing to take up his cross daily, he cannot be my disciple. That's from Jesus Christ himself. Yes. Very powerful. So he, powerful. his cross, him being lifted up on the cross, draws us to him. Yes. And at the same time, he tells us to pick up our crosses. Again, this is that back and forth. It's a wonderful back and forth, yes. And it's, I see it, you know, what you're bringing out is that this gets at the meaning of having a personal relationship with Christ. Oh, there's no substitute, right? You have to be in that back and forth with Jesus Christ. Yes. And you he's giving us infinity and we're taking our little gift of ourself and saying, well, it's all I've got, but it's yours. It's yours. Yeah. As you mentioned at the mass, we put the little piece of bread on the paten and it becomes his body. That's our little gift to him, and he does great things with it. Yeah, yeah. And one of the greatest, the toughest things to do is to, is to say no to pride inside of us that wants to always keep insisting. Mm -hmm. In terms of this cooperation, you, you also talk about the importance of, you know, uh, th th there's a, a lot of problems in the world. Yes. And, you know, things are not easy for a lot of people. And you talk about this in terms of our relationship to grace and the good works we're supposed to do. Not only the sacraments, but also the works. Talk a little bit more about that, if you would, too. Yes. Uh, uh, that's why works are important, uh, uh, but always in Christ, mm -hmm. works in Christ. And, you know, and I would say, too, remember, there's that phrase from the Second Vatican Council, which is, Amazing. St. John Paul II loved to quote it, particularly in his first encyclical, way back in 1979, mm -hmm. Redemptor Ominis, the Redeemer of Man. Mm -hmm. He quotes from Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, number 22. Yes. Where yes. he says, by his incarnation, Jesus united himself with every man because he thought with the human mind, he worked with human hands and loved with the human heart. That is a beautiful statement of the Second Vatican Council. Mm -hmm. But that shows that even the smallest thing that we do can be co-redemptive. If somehow we can unite the little things of each day with him. Jesus did those little things growing up in Nazareth. And somehow uniting ourselves with him, not only at Mass, but in those little things of each day, that can also contribute to redemption. Exactly. That's exactly. one of the points of the, of the book as well. Yeah, and, and these, uh, again, some people are tempted to think, no, you're, you're not good works at all. You don't, it has nothing to do with your... But the, the scriptures say, whatever you do to the least of my brethren, you do to me. That's right. That's for right. bad or for good. That's right. And the book of Revelation says that our good works are what we'll be judged by. Right. That's, now, Martin Luther wanted to take that out of the Bible. He did. That was from he James, took it out, he, it? he took it out for a few years. but Couldn't he, get away he, with it. <laughs> no, 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 no. So these That's are right, all yeah. important, and God wants us to cooperate. We have to cooperate with the clock, so we're going to mm -hmm. take a little break. We're going to come back with some of your questions and your comments, as well as those of our wonderful studio audience, so please stay with us.
Welcome back. Welcome back. I just want to uh, announce to you we have a lady here in our studio audience who's going to join us for this. I'll be doing a pilgrimage, <coughs> excuse me, to Poland May 8th to 18th. It's in the footsteps of Polish saints, the variety of them, from queens uh, and princes all the way to martyrs. And that'll be May 8th to 18th. If you are interested uh, and want more information, go to MateoTravel.com. MateoTravel, M-A-T-T-E-O, Travel.com. Also, uh, Father's book is called How Christ Saves Souls with Us, The Mystery of Co-Redemption by Father Michael Geisler. It's available at EWTNRC.com where it is an item number A287. And you also may have seen that they uh, also in religious catalog that my book Saved, a Bible study for Catholics, would, is a good complement. It gives another perspective on it. But the, these two books about what, what is salvation, these are important questions for us to address. And I thank you for writing the, your book. It was a good one. You ready for some questions? Certainly. All right. You scared? Nope. Okay. They're very happy with this group. They look like All a great right, group. They're, they're nice folks. <laughs> Ma'am, where are you from? I am from uh, Roswell, Georgia. Good to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank and you what very much. is your question? So my question for Father is um, if we're cooperating with Jesus during our life and, and trying to redeem ourselves while we're here, but we don't accomplish that while we're on earth, does our redemption continue in purgatory? Is that where we're made completely redeemed and purified so that we can go to heaven? Yes, I, I would say the teaching of the church is pretty clear that our purification and redemption is completed in purgatory through the remission of temporal punishment due to sin. Because every sin has a punishment connected with it and it has to be purified and worked out. So therefore, purgatory does complete our redemption. It is true. But we also teach about uh, purgatorial suffering that it is more passive than here on earth. Hmm. In this life, we are more active in what we do. We can make more choices about ways we can, uh, you know, for instance, during Lent, make various sacrifices, fastings, and abstinences, or the way we can help out people in need giving up of our own for other people, we can actively do that as a way of purifying our pride by giving to those who are very poor. That's true. Um, that, and that we're more active. Uh, and again, that, that's the theme of your book. While in purgatory, we would be more passive. That's true. It's something that we undergo a purifying kind of suffering. Whereas in this life, we can seek it out That's right. in ways that... I think the key word there might even be merit. We can merit things in this life by active good works, especially help for the poor or by sacrifices. Mm -hmm. Whereas in purgatory, it's more receiving the, the, the pain, not so much the merit involved anymore. But we can merit for them by prayer. And it's not only in service to the poor, it's also in correcting sinners. Yes, it is. This is one of the things that... Uh, St. James in chapter 5 wrote that whoever corrects a sinner remits a multitude of sins. Now, you win a sinner over to God, that removes a lot of our mm -hmm. sins. That's in Scripture. That's right. That's in the Bible. So it's, it's very important. Very important. Good question. Ma'am, where are you from? I also am from uh, St. Peter Chanel in Roswell, Georgia. And, and that's not the Roswell with the aliens. No, 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 no. That's another uh, Roswell. Some might say there are similarities, but <laughs> no, not me. I never say that to my neighbors. <laughs> so what's your question? My question is, uh, when I think about redemption, I always worry about my brethren who don't, didn't have the benefits or don't have the benefits that I had at birth from spiritual parents, Catholic faith, 
baptism being brought to the sacraments. What is God's plan to bring them, the, the others, into redemption? I worry about people who don't know about God and don't learn about God or even feel God in their world. How, how do they get there? And I would say that that's an increasing problem yes, as yes. a lot of parents refuse to teach their children about God, mm. refuse to baptize them. They don't want them, they, they actively don't want them to have those graces. They say, well, wait till they're 18 and they can choose on their own. So mm. it's not, so you have people who might live in very non-Christian areas. Right. Right. And they are not allowed to hear about Jesus Christ. No. And other people that mm. are just, they're, they're raised Christian parents, but they they're, won't raise their children. How does our Lord reach them? Mm. Well, for the first principle, I think there is pretty clear that God does want all people to be saved. First Timothy chapter two, first, verse four. First Timothy, exactly. He does want everybody, including your relative, to be saved. That's for sure. Um, now, unfortunately, some people don't have... No, God's grace is always working in souls down to the last breath you take. I think I can say that with absolute clarity. Absolutely He's always knocking at the door of your soul to save you. Do you love me? Do, are you sorry for your sins? He always gives us a chance. But it's so good to have parents that teach you the truth and good to go to good schools, too. It helps so much to reach salvation. So all I can say is uh, I have a chapter in my book called Co-Redemptive Matrimony. <laughs> uh, Co-Redemptive Matrimony, right. which means that the man and the woman do kind of redeem one another by helping each other to get to heaven. The woman and the man, the man and the woman, and definitely with the children, there is a co-redemptive aspect to raising children well, talking about God, praying with them, giving them chores to do around the house, responsibilities, all these things are part of redemption too. It's such a wonderful grace to have good parents that teach you the faith. But God will not give up. He wants everyone to be saved. Yeah. Something to address people who say, who live in some parts of Central Asia that mm. have zero opportunity to ever hear about Jesus Christ. Mm. Zero opportunity. You have one group who would say, well, God does it all, and if he doesn't give them the grace, he predetermined them to go to hell. Mm -hmm. That contradicts St. Paul. Right. It contradicts what St. Paul said, that God wills all people to be saved. So that's, I don't think that that's true. That's not true. But there's a parable that I think is helpful. In Matthew 25, verse 31, most Christians rightly apply that to themselves, and they should. This is when he separates the sheep and the goats, and the sheep take when Jesus, when Jesus was hungry, thirsty, naked, in prison, and sick, they took care of him. But notice, they say, when do we see you that way? They don't know that what they're doing is for Jesus. I said, when you did it to the least of my brethren, you did it to me. And the same thing with the bad people. They didn't do that for the sick, hungry, naked, in prison, uh, and thirsty. And you didn't do it to me. They didn't say, we never saw you like that. I said, least of my brethren, you did it to me. Right. The key to understanding that for your question is to look at the opening line, verse 31, where it says, when the Son of Man comes on the clouds with all of his angels, he will judge the nations. The nations, ethne, is the Greek word for Hebrew, the goyim. Right, the peoples. Well, the the, the non the people outside faith. Yeah. These are the people who don't know Jesus. They have no idea who Jesus is. They're outside the faith. So they can't be judged by something that's not their fault. But they will be judged by what they do to the least people, 
the ones who can't pay them back, who can't help them. And are you cruel to them or are you good to them? A lot of people who even say that they know Christ are doing a lot of things to Jesus in the least ones in the womb. Yes. I don't think that's going to go over real well. (laughs) No. It's not going to go over well at all. The defenseless ones, the innocent ones. Because what you do in cutting them up to pieces, you're doing to Jesus. So we all have to pay attention to who are the least little ones in our lives. And there are all kinds of them. And uh, the poor, etc. That's how Jesus will judge those outside the faith who have no opportunity to know him. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Ma'am, where are you from? Um, like the Batesville area in uh, Indiana. India, Batesville, Indiana. Good uh, to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. Thank what can you. we do for you this fine day? Well, I just wanted to say thank you for everything. And also, um, um, both in the history of the church and even um, in the last few years, I've been hearing more and more about people um, being healed in the name of Jesus with like miracles, signs and wonders happening. And so mm-hmm. I was just curious um, how, like, I thought that was beautiful, the reflection about humility and just, you know, just imagining if, you know, those things are happening, how to maintain that effort towards humility and uh, if, if Father could speak so, to that. So when people are you know, being called. And some people are called, you know, would you pray for me? And some people have a ministry of intercession for others. Mm-hmm. How, how does that role, uh, the, that cooperation and that humility come into play? Well, again, if one is really humble and lets Christ Jesus work in them, they can do miracles, even physical ones, uh, even, even physical miracles, uh, but I would say most of us are called to most of our life to do moral, spiritual miracles. Mm-hmm. Maybe like uh, convincing someone to be kinder at home to their family. Or maybe uh, trying to get a Catholic who has been away from confession for a long time. That's a spiritual miracle, mm-hmm. really, that you do in connection with Christ. You're letting Christ work within you, and this person gets back to confession or converts or does something to help others. That's a wonderful sign of grace working within the person. Or maybe someone doesn't know about the existence of God through, through, without her fault or, or the, the true church, and you give her something good to read. Uh, that's being somehow a co-redeemer. You are the light of the world. Jesus said that in uh, Matthew, I think. You are Matthew the light of the world. Mm-hmm. That's right, the Sermon on the Mount. So you're the light. You can do lots of good even maybe raise the dead, people who have been, are dead to God, but yet you talk with them and revive them. And so in other words, redemption continues. It wasn't just finished at the cross. It continues through us right now, yeah, 2023. The, the, <laughs> yeah. the, the power of Christ's death and resurrection is infinite. It's infinite. Uh, what we do is finite. We have these, just our little selves. But his grace is an infinite grace. So this is going on all the time. All the time in big things and little things. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think to you know, put ourselves out there and when somebody asks us, like for that lady's question, somebody says, uh, would you pray for this person who's sick? Pray for him. Don't say, oh, yeah, yeah I'll pray for him. No. Do, do pray. Go right then and there. <laughs> yeah, go right in. You know, in. just stop a minute. And it doesn't be long, but, you know, just pray for them and then go about your business. Yes. Or maybe offer God a little sacrifice care. for them too could help. Offer a little sacrifice like during mm-hmm. Lent. I won't, I'm not going to have this sweet for this person. She'll mm-hmm. never know, but God will know that exactly. I offered that for her or for him. That's the way co-redemption works in such a beautiful way sometimes very hidden, kind of mysterious. Yeah, it, it's something that, um, you know, I, I remember uh, reading a lot about a woman who back in the 70s, 
in in sixties had very was very famous for having a healing ministry, mm -hmm. and she pray and it was interesting that uh, and she talked about this. You could not guarantee who would and who would not be healed. Atheists came in and sometimes were healed, mm. and people with tremendous faith came in and sometimes were not, and sometimes mm. they were. You know, she learned early on, you can't say, well, you didn't have faith, so that's why you didn't get healed. It's not, it's not that I failed, you did. No, no she <laughs> learned not to do that. No. That, she knew that was foolish. No. That there's also a mystery involved in how God is doing and what he's doing. That's right, and it's true from Scripture, too, that God appears to favor some over others, and that makes us think that God is unjust, but he's not unjust. He's infinitely good, even if it seems like some people have been favored more than we have. Yes. In the end, his infinite goodness triumphs. Even though the person of faith doesn't get what he or she wants, in the end, if they persevere, they will obtain that goodness of God. Yeah, and, you know, I even remember, for those of us who listen to country music, um, that there was a great country song, Thank God for Unanswered Prayers. Mm. And he, this was a singer who went wow. through various experiences of life. I really, really, really wanted <laughs> this, but only later on could see that had he attained it, his life would have been a mess. Mm -hmm. And it's only sometimes in retrospect, when you ask for things and you don't get them and you're mad at God because <laughs> he doesn't get it, and then you see, mm, you saved me from a lot of mess. That's right. That's a lot right. of mess. And that's, that's not just once in my life, I'm sure. For a lot of you, I see some heads nodding. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's also sometimes like my mom, who thought that broccoli was better for me than ice cream, <laughs> God has a pretty good idea of some things that are better for me than others. And your mom. Yeah. <laughs> and your mom. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. So well, That's a very good point, Father. It's, 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 he, 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 sees, he is infinite. He sees the good that we do not see. Mm -hmm. But he does ask us to cooperate with him as much as we can in the good that mm -hmm. we do see. Mm-hmm. And this um, sense of grace, uh, you and I talked earlier, I, I used an example uh, that I remember when I was a little boy. Um, for Christmas, my dad gave me a dollar so I could go buy my mother a Christmas present. Now, I, I, was, un I was too small. I was unable to earn any money. And that was his gift. And to me, that always has come to symbolize, this is what God does. He gives me this gift, but then I could go and say, well, I'll buy mom a, a Snickers bar, which in those <laughs> days was five cents, yes. and that would leave me 95 cents. Oh, yes. For, for another few Snickers bars. <laughs> Snicker I could have done that. Could have done that. But that would have been a misuse of the gift. Right, right. <laughs> My dad sure would have wanted to know what happened to the 95 <laughs> cents. But, you know, it was my effort then with dad's gift to look for the best gift I could yes. with what I had. And this, I, that's always been a symbol to me of what God gives us. It's all his. Yes. But then he's, he expects us, and he will call us to account. Yes, as in the gospel itself, the parable of the talents, which yep. we discussed. And you tell us about that a little bit. What do you mean, what do you mean by the parable of the, the talents? The parable of the talents, as you recall, in the gospel, Jesus gave certain talents to, not Jesus, the, the master, who was Jesus, really, but the master gave certain talents to his servants, one received one talent, another five, another ten. And a talent was worth a lot of money. It wasn't just like 50 cents or even a dollar. No, <laughs> it no. was worth... Uh, no, the, uh, a talent was 65 pounds of gold. <laughs> yeah, one talent, 65 pounds of gold he gave to this individual 
who just buried it and didn't do anything with his talent. And that's why the master was so angry with this man when he came back, kicked him out of his kingdom. You wasted 65 pounds of gold. You could have done great things with this. Yeah, he even calls him a wicked and lazy servant. Yeah. I don't want to hear that from Jesus. <laughs> it's not well, a good thing. No, Again, have, that won't go well. We have to use our talents well. But at the same time, we have to avoid the Pelagian thought that it's my talents and my work that's saving me, because it isn't. It's Christ's grace that's saving me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I still got to do something, but it's his grace that's saving me. Yeah, it, it, yeah the Pelagians would say, hey, God, I hope you appreciate how lucky you are to have me around. That's not... That's, that's not exactly that's Christianity, the, no, no. That's some of the modern hymns that we hear in church sometimes. Hey, God, we're the light of the world. We're doing all this. Are you listening? Pay, listen up. Pay attention. Yeah. Again, right. I want that's to right. recommend this book. It's called How Christ Saves Souls with Us, The Mystery of Co-Redemption. It's by Father Michael Geisler, and it is available at EWTNRC.com, uh, where it's item number A287. And again, a good companion to that would be the Bible study, Saved, that they would go together. Great thing for us to contemplate during this time of Lent. Mm -hmm. And so we understand the redemption and prepare ourselves to celebrate Holy Week. That's right. Father, thank you for coming all the way from St. Louis and joining us here. And would you join me in giving a blessing? Yes. May Almighty God bless, bless you me. all and keep you and cause his face to shine upon you and lead you in all of your ways by his peace. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And we can bring you this program and all of our other shows only because this network is brought to you by you. So please remember to keep us in between your gas bill, your cable bill, and all your electric bills, and we'll be able <laughs> to pay our bills too. God bless you all, and thank you.